Welcome to Thrive, your agency resource, the only podcast for creative, media, and technology leaders who are ready to dive deeper into conscious leadership and agency growth. I'm your host, Kelly Campbell. Thrive is brought to you by Accessibility, the leading web accessibility solutions provider. Join thousands of agencies that are already incorporating web inclusivity into their service offerings. Visit accessibility.com today. So welcome back to another episode of Thrive. Really, really excited that you could join us again. As all of you know, I don't really have or typically have repeat guests on the show, but I'm kind of excited that today is an exception because I'm joined by Dan Englander, who I think you were on the show early, early on, maybe in the first 15 episodes. I think today's 126. So we've been busy. (laughs) Dan is the founder and CEO of Sales Schema, which is essentially a sales consultancy for agencies. And he actually just authored a new book called Relationship Sales at Scale, How to Find Your Virtual Tribe and Reliably Grow Your Professional Services Business. Dan, welcome back to the show. I love that you're back here, and I'm really excited about this conversation because we can geek out about business development all day long. Kelly, yeah, it's an honor to, to be a returning guest. Congrats on 100 plus episodes, and yeah, excited to, to dig into this stuff. Yeah. So let's talk about, in the book, you, you kind of set up from the beginning these kind of two different mindsets to sales, kind of like an old and a new mindset. So let's let's start there as the foundation and then let's go into the solution uh, that you're proposing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the to, to frame it out a little bit, you know, I used to do a lot of in-person networking in previous lives and mm-hmm. we would go to these groups and everyone would go like around the horn and do the little intro and say, I sell this thing and so on. And I did that for a couple of years and maybe closed like one or two deals, but but didn't really do that much. Mm -hmm. And then there was one group called, uh, they they were focused on real estate and they would like make up 80, 90% of all the revenue the group made. And it was was all through this, this, the trust that goes along with relationships. And in this case, it was the in-person kind of, not pre-internet, but like earlier days of the internet era. But the problem was, and it wasn't just that I sucked at it, although maybe I wasn't the best, but me and everybody else that sold weird stuff, you know, that had relatively small total addressable markets, couldn't really make this work. But that dynamic and the trust that goes along with with relationships and with being able to use friends of friends to get open doors still exists. But now we have all the leverage and all the power of the internet and and, all, and everything that goes along with that to find friends of friends, to find commonalities that you can use to open doors with people that might you might think won't talk to you. Um, and that's So that's a lot of what we've done at Sales Schema. And to kind of answer your first question in terms of like old and new, that's the old school is like the, the way of doing things that made that the people are like, well, either I have to go to conferences and play this like rub the shoulders game, or write custom love letters to people. But the problem is that becomes really hard to sustain, especially if you're busy. And on the flip side, the only other option people have gotten is this painting by numbers thing, right? Where basically you are sending like mass emails to people, you're spamming them, you're doing all the things that annoy us on the receiving end. Uh, and that doesn't really work either because, you know, if you're talking about the agency world, if you go to a CMO's inbox, they're getting pitched by dozens of agencies in a day. They know what you do. The scarce resource is no longer information. It's no longer like a differentiation or a bell and a whistle. They don't get to experience that until much later in the process. At the beginning, it's all about trust. So 
really that's what this book is about is like how do you combine the old school trust with the new school leverage and and find the right balance yeah 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 so talk about that this hybrid approach of kind of relationship plus scale yeah totally so we learned this the hard way right cuz like in the early days of sales game we're doing all these campaigns for clients trying to get them meetings we tried everything under the sun we would do like variations on all sorts of different funnels and channels with like linkedin and email and phone try to get people meetings and we would try every permutation of hey check out this case study look at this thing and it kind of worked and it worked for a while and then it started declining in performance and then we had one client that was like completely well positioned they were niche they were doing all the right things and we still couldn't get the meetings so we experimented with a campaign where we sent like a one line email but beforehand we had mapped uh, we we essentially mapped those like like the relationships of the people that they knew into other companies so we basically found people that used to work at a company that they've done a lot of business with and then it moved on to another one so kind of like hey I used to work at IBM I saw you're at HP now we must have crossed paths can we talk it was like a two line email and it was massively successful they got a lot of a lot of meetings many of which panned out to close business over the course of their sales cycle and we we started thinking like hey we're on to something here like we talked almost nothing about the product or about what they did if anybody wanted to they probably went to the site before the meeting but you know that that was that was it so we said we should just kind of keep uh, keep exploring this and then over time we kept improving the process and and scaling it out but that's that's the idea is you know if you're if you're in a situation where your total addressable market is relatively small like most of our clients they're they're b2b companies they're agencies selling to one or a few niches they might be contacting fewer than 10k companies or they might they might only be able to do business with fewer than like that many companies so our whole thing is like why not find a way to de-risk that conversation sooner rather than later it's interesting cuz what i hear you saying is like there is some upfront work to be done in all of that research to figure out who was connected to who and and all of that and even some of that i'm assuming with with your tools and the the methodology that you use at sales schema some of that can be automated or you can use VAs or things like that for that research but then you tack on the automation and being able to send these outbound emails is that so is that kind of the hybrid approach am i grokking that correctly yeah essentially so what our whole you know approach to this is often if people want to do this themselves most of the time it means going account based so before you begin instead of just thinking of everyone in the world that could use what you do you're thinking of a specific list of accounts and then finding people within within those accounts and how many um, accounts yeah. are you talking about like when you say accounts i know you're talking about account based marketing abm but right. for people who that might be new to uh, or new for how many accounts are you talking about in this like kind of hot list that you want to go after yeah i mean ultimately you know over the course of time you're building out your total addressable market list but uh for a course of a given campaign we might be contacting anywhere from as few as like 30 up to like 100 or 200 prospects per so business. So it's it's a small subset. It's a small it's list. It's a small subset, exactly. So the idea is if you contacted like 5 or 10, that's not really enough to make to do anything meaningful. But if you're talking about a list of, you know, 30 to 200 or so, that's now a list that you can get very personalized with and actually be relevant with and be human and and all those good things. So that's the kind of balance of personalization and scale that we found to work really well. There are so many places I want to go with this conversation. <laughs> Let's start first with 
just in my experience, working with agency leaders and part of the work that I do typically always results in helping them with some kind of business development strategy focused on outbound as sort of an addition to the mix that they're already using. A little bit of inbound, a little bit of networking, et cetera, et cetera. Speaking engagements, things like that. But when it comes to outbound, I'm curious if you have also had this, I I imagine you've had this conversation probably almost every single engagement where the agency leader or owner is like, okay, so outbound, I don't want to be viewed as or lose my reputation and be seen as a spammer. I don't, I get those emails all the time. Like, how are you doing it different? I, I feel like you probably have to convince a lot of people up front because I know I get that pushback. So I'm curious, do you get that pushback? And, and if so, how do you address that? Yeah, that's a great question. So so we do to some extent, we definitely have selection bias because by the time we're talking to people, they're they're generally open to outbound, but it's something that we run into a lot. And I think I think there's a couple of different ways to to think about it. First is that you're not you're being specific about who you want to reach out to and very deliberate about that. Mm. And also the reason that people get get mad at, at emails and the reason that people get annoyed usually is that they can't trust what you're doing and you're forcing them into a binary sales process, right? Most emails and most outreach, whether it's email or LinkedIn, whatever, is basically saying, do you want to buy this thing right now? Uh, or do you want to press the spam button or ignore me or tell me to go away? Like those are the two options. Right. So the way that you don't send spam is you give people a third option, which is de-risking a conversation, right? How do you do that? Lots of different ways. The strongest ways that we have found to do it is through strong personal commonalities that people share being from the same hometown, experience in the same companies. Relationships is the biggest one, people they know in common. Those are like, for better or worse, those are very tribal things and they they resonate a lot. So that's the first thing. And ultimately, the other way you don't send spam is that everybody, and this is the hard part, but it's it's worth it because it works really well, is everybody that gets that outreach has to think it was just for men. You know, they can't think they're on a list. And that, that goes with the level of personalization. And again, once you're getting to smaller numbers, you really can achieve that effect. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, with all those things out of the way, all marketing and all sales involves some kind of interruption, right? If you want to do inbound marketing, you're putting up ads, people are going to have to click on them. If you are doing in-person marketing at an event, you're going to have to eventually say, hey, I'm so-and-so from this company. Do you want to talk about buying this thing or talking after the event or whatever? So there's always going to be some form of interruption. My argument is that outbound is... Definitely not worse than than many of the others, uh, and it can work really well if you do it the right way. Yeah, right, right. That's good. I like all of those points. I think the thing that I kind of lean in on in terms of the conversation with agency leaders is like what they're actually reacting to when they talk about reputation and things like that is the content, right? The, the messaging itself. So, can we talk a little bit about the relevance and the resonance? of the messaging itself. Cause I heard you say earlier that you're sending like a one or two line email and it's just focused on the relationship. Are there other instances where you might have a slightly different approach, but really focused specifically on like that prospect's role or things like that, just yeah, the messaging itself. I think that that's like, cause that is the most important thing. What you're putting into their inbox is right. either going to get them to react or get them to delete. Exactly. Yeah. And this is when we're kind of getting into the melding of like art and science. So there's not one way to do it. Most of the emails we send now are more than 
two lines. But the main thing is achieving the effect of, of, wow, like this person wrote an email just for me, even if it's at relative scale. And people are like, well, so are you sending like fake custom emails? Yeah, you can look at it cynically like that. But I think what's really happening is like, once you get down to small enough numbers, you actually are being more deliberate. And I think in a lot of ways, it's more, more human and ethical than many other things you could be, could be doing. But beyond that, you know, to get into messaging, to get into tactics and stuff, a lot of it's saying just like the little things that add up saying, Hey, hope your Wednesday morning is going well is different than saying like, Hey, I wanted to run this by you, you know, <laughs> getting into that, you know, like the craziest campaign we ever did is we found people that play tennis in college because our client played tennis in college. And we found C, C, C level people in these companies that also had a connection to tennis and started with that. We've used hometown connections. We've used, um, like I mentioned before, Hey, we've done so much work with Coca-Cola. I saw you used to work there. Now you're at Pepsi. That's, that's great. Maybe we cross paths. We're doing these things, you know, would you be open to talking? But but I think all of it, I mean, the recurring theme, which I talk about a lot in the book, is that the messaging should really build the trust, trust. you know, the good because that's that's the scarce resource. You know, everybody knows what an agency does. They know if they want to find an agency to fill any need, they can do that very easily. What's really hard is the sourcing. And we know this because there's the cottage industry of source, uh, search consultants. There's people that make livings just lining up agencies, right? So yep. it's often these sort of human lizard brain things that determine whether or not we take meetings with each other. So we're just kind of channeling that. Yeah. It's interesting because you you just kind of touched on something for me, obviously, with my kind of like trauma-informed conscious leadership coaching like when you talk about it in from like the lizard brain aspect, it's almost like there's this thing that happens, this perception of threat or doubt or distrust that could happen the second an email lands in your inbox. So things that can sort of de-risk, I love that that term that you use. So like de-risking that process in the messaging is simple, simple things. Like if you're going to dynamically include a first name or a company name, Make sure it's, you know, do the couple seconds of research to know, you know, if it's Christopher, but it all the LinkedIn recommendations reference this person as Chris, make sure that your thing says, hi, Chris, and not Christopher, right? Or if the company name has a, you know, comma Inc at the end or comma LLC, nobody would ever write that in an email. So make sure that you're using the, the conversational version of that company. Little things like that make literally the difference between the delete or the response. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of these little things kind of added together that determine whether somebody flips to, yes, I'll take this seriously and go to the next step, or I'm just going to do what I, what I do normally. So you need that, that sort of pattern interrupts. But I think when people hear pattern interrupts in marketing, they're thinking about the, the Seth Godin purple cow, like something really crazy and weird. Right. The irony is that in B2B with, with outreach, it's actually often making your email seem like the sort of email I would get from somebody I actually know or somebody that their company or an acquaintance they met. If you really wait, a really great framework is like if you wouldn't send it to somebody that you met at a networking event as a follow up, don't send it to somebody you haven't. And like, right. like you know, in terms of tone and so on. Yeah. So that's, that's yeah. all true. Yeah. I love this conversation so much. <laughs> I'm I the biggest so. geek about business development. I don't know. There are some people who absolutely hate it. And I just, I don't know, I think because it's about relationships and it's about building that rapport and that trust just through, you know, some kind of interaction, whether you said, you know, LinkedIn or email. Yeah. It's like, how can you open up the door? How can you connect with someone 
and then open up that conversation to see if you can, you know, support one another from a business perspective. Did you know that one out of five people in the U.S. is living with some form of disability? I'm proud to partner with Accessity as they work toward the mission of making the web accessible to everyone. It's time to prioritize inclusivity. Ensure that your own website and your client sites can be accessed by all and that they're ADA compliant. Head over to accessibly.com forward slash thrive to learn more about their agency partner program. Now, back to the show. I guess the next question that I would have is, and maybe, you know, agency owners and leaders who are especially charged with business development at their organizations, there's got to be some question in the back of their mind as to like, so I get the messaging and all the little nuances that makes sense. Is it a good use of my time as the lead business development person in my organization is it a good use of my time to be executing on this? Like, what do you, how do you respond to that? It's a little bit situational. I think if you are a sole proprietor and you're wearing a bunch of hats, then you've just got to deal with that. Yeah. You've got to wear different sales hats at the same time. The issue is that sales is actually like a bunch of different skill sets. And people just say sales and they combine them all, which is crazy because like in marketing, we don't really do that. We have the designer, we have the copywriter, we have, you know, X, Y, Z. But in sales, we, we tend to just lump all those stuff together and people hire that full stack, the account executive, the closer, the person who's very personable. And they're like, hey, can you go build this these lists and this machine for like teeing up appointments? And they're just different skill sets. So to dig into each situation, I think if it's just you and you don't have the resources to hire you know, a company like ours or hire uh, multiple salespeople or build a team or something, then it's really about kind of dividing up your time, right? So you might have a certain block of time where you're getting on calls with people that are already ready to talk to you. That's probably like the highest priority thing. You have another block of time where you're working with the systems and the software and you might be delegating stuff to a list builder or something like that. And then you have the more kind of fluid real-time situation of being responsive to people that are ready to talk now to get them booked. And then as you have more resources, that might mean you're getting different people to handle those, those tasks. But those are kind of like the three skill sets is our like systems thinking, creative and, and hustle, you know? Right. And then I think in a slightly larger organization where, where companies often go wrong is they hire that full stack to the closer before they have a system for getting that person leads or for getting that person on yes. calls. Right. Yes. Yes. I know you've seen that with your clients. All Scully, the time. Um, yeah. And the issue with that is that person's going to interview well and they're going to convince you to hire them. But that, but that salesperson is usually has built themselves up in an established organization where there's leads coming in and so on and so forth. Or at least even if there's not leads coming in, they know what to do to get people from from the first, you know, the first yard line to the finish line, basically. But if you're an agency and you're doing a whole bunch of complex stuff and you've only gotten your business from referrals, that system's not there and that system's not going to be there until you've run new gin pop people through it, right? So that's why focusing on top of the funnel first is, is more important, even that, if that means owners are in that sales seat longer. Right. Yeah. So essentially, if, you, if you're if you a small agency that has historically relied on referrals and your own networks and maybe even some land and expand from existing clients, you try to pull in a closer, you're setting them up for failure from day one. And now you're paying 100,000 yeah. plus for a sales rep who you're not going to see ROI on. 
Often, yes. It doesn't always play out like that. The times where I've seen it work, and this was, you know, there's exceptions and everything. This is one of them, is one where the the company's already built their lead channels. Like they have a system for getting leads. And that was like my first sales job is we invested so much in AdWords that the, the founder of the company who had no sales background really could plug me into it. And I figured out how to make it work. But that's usually not the case. Yeah, usually in most agencies, it's, it's like a kind of a trickle of, of random referrals. They hire that closer too early. And then that they're like, well, that person sucked. We fired them, right? Where it's like, uh, okay, first time, second time. I've talked to people where they've done that three times and they still haven't taken ownership over it, right? So I, I can literally like see heads nodding as someone's listening or watching this conversation. So right. like the takeaway there is if you've hired someone in a sales role and it didn't work out, be self-reflective to say, what was what could we improve upon in our process at the top of the funnel to set that person up for success going forward? And like, who do we actually need to hire in those roles? I think that's that's a huge and super important point, probably just as important as, as the messaging itself. Totally. And I'll, I'll be vulnerable there. Like it's, it's hard to hire salespeople. We've gotten it wrong before, even though we eat our own dog food and do lots of campaigns and stuff, even under really good circumstances, it's hard to hire and train people for complex services. But if you, yeah, but especially if you don't have that first kind of like top of funnel building block in place, then it's like really tough to make work. Yeah. 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 And I love this so much. I love all the different aspects of business development and sales and the prospecting and then also so the closing. So I'm kind of that, that little bit of a unicorn that way. But what I love is like getting into the nitty gritty of the tools and being able to figure out, okay, well, who in an agency or who may be pulled in from an outsourced perspective is going to make the most sense to fill those roles in the sales process, right? And so knowing the tools and just getting familiar with that entire process and how it works, and also keeping in mind that the messaging itself is all about testing. I know you said earlier at the top of the show, you tried everything under the sun and I have absolutely been there. I mean, there are agencies that are like, all right, we've tried six different campaigns or six different approaches and like nothing's worked, but it's probably the seventh one and you just have to stick with it. So I just wanted to kind of highlight that or pinpoint that as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think the sort of like meta lesson in there is that is being able to figure out why it didn't, why something didn't work. Right. Um, and in this nerdy context of outbound, a lot of the times it's that the message isn't even being seen, you know, for different yes. reasons. Um, That's a great point. Yeah. I'm so glad you just said that. One of the things that I've learned with consciousness leaders, where we do outbound business development in-house, we figured out that our one of our campaigns that we were running, we had a link to the website in the first email we were sending. And these are, we were yeah. sending them to organizations that are 5,000 to 50,000 employees. So very large yeah. organizations and they have significant spam filters in place. So if it's an email that has never been sent before to a prospect and there's a link in there, what we figured out over the course of you know a couple months was if we just removed the link from that very first email, the deliverability yeah. went up and then we could actually, you know, the sequence could, could continue and get delivered. So it's really, when we're talking about the importance of nuance in the messaging, it's not just the content, it's actually even the formatting of the email. So really yeah. like, the art and science, as you said before. Exactly. And I, I think outbound has become like, a, you know, mature sales and marketing channel. I think when I first started doing it, it was seen as something that anyone and everyone could do. Like you just run a list through a piece right. of software and you're, and you're good. 
Um, I don't think it's like that anymore. And I think it's actually better that it's not because yeah. we get less spam, you know, we get more meaningful messages. So it's also selfishly good for companies like ours that get good at it. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the yeah. last thing that I wanted to touch on is if someone is using LinkedIn, um, because yeah. so many people, especially over the last couple of years, have just like transitioned over to LinkedIn specifically to do outreach. I think having the ability to kind of think on your feet and be really human and really conversational about how you engage, especially past the first message is super important. You know, you may have your script set up, but the person who's executing that back to the importance of that has to be able to engage in a really, really conversational, very genuine way, or else it comes across as risk, as threat, as can I trust right. this person? It, this sounds like a script that they send to everyone. So yeah, I just wanted to wonder your thoughts about that. So there, there are a couple things in there. So I think with, with LinkedIn, there, LinkedIn can be a really powerful tool. Um, I think in terms of data, there's nothing that rivals it because it's really the only thing that we keep updated in general, you know, yeah. in, our, in a business context. So the, and a lot of that's what that, that's a lot of what we do is like harvesting data in the right way out of LinkedIn. I think what I write about in the book a lot is the idea of, of just like platform risk and, the, and and also just the promise and the value of like owning your own audience mm-hmm. beyond the the walled giants, you know, or the the walled gardens, I should say, the tech giants. I think that that there it's not like you know you there isn't a lot of opportunity in channels like LinkedIn and in other you know on other tech platforms, but I think what what we've seen is that these companies have their own motives and they make changes that you know may or may not be good for your business in the long term and there's also such power to owning your list you know whether it's outbound like we're doing or your newsletter or like what we're doing right now in a podcast like nobody can take this from us tech companies can interface with it and affect it but ultimately it's predicated on the idea that we can get our message out to our audience as we see fit, as long as they are, are you know, want, want to receive our message. So mm-hmm. I think that that's really important. That said, you know, there's LinkedIn can be really powerful. There's plenty of people killing it on LinkedIn. It's just, you know, you got, I like to think a little bit longer term about it. And also there's some tactical issues with LinkedIn. I think for one, people go on LinkedIn to, to read articles and, you know, look at things and put it. So, so kind of like converting those conversations to the calendar and to like making them into meaningful business conversations. It's just a little bit harder. Yeah. Uh, and also there's a lot of rules, you know, so a lot of these companies that are like doing LinkedIn outreach are breaking a lot of those rules. And for right now, they're not enforced very well. That might change. My understanding, and I may or may not be right about this is like LinkedIn's moving more to like a pay for pay, pay to play, like ad model, which makes sense. So I don't know if all of that stuff's going to be there for years. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of what's informed, you know, our, our thinking on it. Anyway. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. And just, again, kind of starting from where you can start from now as the foundation, things that you can implement internally, you know, starting Monday. And then also thinking about that long-term strategy from an outbound standpoint and not being so beholden to one particular platform. I think that's, that's really important too. So Dan, there are like tons and tons of little gold nuggets in this conversation. So where can people find the book if they want to grab a copy? Yeah. So there's a landing page that that goes to Amazon and also covers a lot of resources and stuff in the book. And that's just uh, saleschema.com slash RSAS. Again, saleschema.com slash RSAS is in relationship sales at scale. I think that's probably the best place to go. That'll go right to Amazon. Okay, perfect. So we'll pop that into the show notes. We'll also put the link to Amazon in case that's where you grab your books. 
Dan, thank you so much. I really cannot thank you enough because you know that I love this conversation and every time we're together, you know, it could just go for hours. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming by. Likewise, Kelly, really, really appreciate it again. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe wherever you watch or listen. And a final note of gratitude to the official sponsor of Thrive, Accessibi, the leading web accessibility solutions provider. Learn more about the win-win proposition and keep your clients' websites inclusive and compliant. Be sure to check out their partner program for your agency today at accessibi.com forward slash thrive.